There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher, and we've got an awesome show for you coming up. This week, Centauri and I were joined by Court Rich, attorney and co-chair of the Rose Law Group's Renewable Energy Practice Area. We had a great conversation that went from the very broad topic of climate change to the role of renewable energy sources now and in the future to the opportunities and challenges of advancing the adoption of solar power at the state level. We closed our conversation with Court's recommendations for getting involved in the process of bringing more solar power to Arizona. You can find out more about Court and what he's working on at roselawgroup.com as well as on Twitter at Court underscore Rich, and I definitely encourage you to check it out. If you'd like additional info, click contact us in the show notes and we'll get you what you need to make it happen. Thanks as always for listening. Feel free to share the show on social media. That's enough about that. Let's go. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher. Joining me as always is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action this week is Court Rich, attorney and co-chair of Rose Law Group's Renewable Energy Practice Area. Welcome, Court. Thank you. Happy to be here. Centauri. This should be good. How do you feel, how do you think about nuclear energy? Oh. Um, how do you think and feel? I have no, I don't know. The only thing I know about that is from The Simpsons, and so probably not accurate at all, so I don't have any thoughts or feelings on it. Okay. Yeah. But your feelings are, are probably fond? Yeah, based positive. On the I feel like, yeah. It's a Homer good, work there? <laughs> Homer works there. It's a good energy source. Seems great. Right. I could right. be wrong. You're right. absolutely right. Okay, gotcha. That's okay. it. That's it. <laughs> And Court, what are your thoughts and feelings on nuclear energy? On nuclear. So, um, I mean, it's, um, it's not my favorite form of energy, I suppose. I, don't, I think right now it's necessary. It's as a, um, you know, particularly in Arizona, our biggest power plant is the Palo Verde nuclear power plant. Um, without that, we'd have to replace um, that with, right now, it would have to be a lot of dirtier stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of controversy about it about nuclear as particularly from the environmental standpoint okay it's it's clean but is it really clean right and it's safe but is it really safe it's really you know there's a lot of kind of ambiguity in there for me it's more just a personal feeling of it doesn't make me all that comfortable right um and so you know i i, I see the the importance of it today particularly in arizona and other places but I don't think you're going to have a lot of it in the future. And you've seen uh, just the costs and the regulations and the time to build it. There was just a big plant that was planned in the southeast that fell through um, after spending billions of dollars that you know, ratepayers have to pay for. They called off the plant and they're not going to build it. So <laughs> it may be a question or the answer may be that it just doesn't matter how any of us feel about it. The economics of it, it just seems to be stopping nuclear from moving forward in the country. So. Why is there ambiguity on nuclear? Like, sh- shouldn't we know if it's safe, or shouldn't we know if it's? Clean well, I mean, I think the the evidence is we've had a lot of nuclear power plants for a lot of years, and they seem like they're pretty safe. But you know, when they're not, they're really, really not, right? Yeah. I mean, Fukushima. You know, I I, I looked because I'm an energy geek, and I was looking. You know, Houston's going on, and I'm like, gosh, I wonder if there are any nuclear power plants in the area. So I went online yesterday just for fun because that sounds like fun, right? To say, hey, where's the nearest nuclear power plant? There's one like 90 miles southwest of of Houston. And I'm thinking, gosh, I wonder if what would have happened if that had taken a direct hit from 52 inches of rain. I mean, maybe nothing, right? It's supposed to be designed to withstand all kinds of stuff, but. I mean, who designs for like a 10,000 year storm, you know, or whatever that thing is. So, um, you know, so I, I think on the whole, statistically, it's very safe, but it's like, you know, when things go wrong, it's, it's different, you know, when solar goes wrong, you get a sunburn, right? And so when you know, nuclear goes wrong, I don't, you have to like abandon the whole It goes super wrong. Yeah. So, and that was, uh, I, 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 on purpose to ask Centauri, how does he feel about it? How does he think about it? And that's the economics might be one thing, but when Fukushima happens, there's this big backlash. It says, "Holy cow! You know, this might make the most sense in the world to have nuclear energy." But 
it scares us to death because it's really bad when it goes sideways. Anyway, circling yeah. back, what? Tell us a little bit about your your work and, and, and what it is that you do here. Yeah, so I'm the the chairman of our renewable energy department at the firm, and um, for. I don't know, for the better part of the last decade, I've represented the largest rooftop solar installers in the country, uh, along with a lot of different um, industry groups in the solar world, basically um, fighting against utilities that want to make it um, unaffordable for you and I to put solar on our rooftop. That's their, you know, it's an economic goal that utilities have that makes all the sense in the world, right? If I'm generating my own power and putting it on my roof, you know, I'm not buying as much of what they're selling. So all around the country, Utilities have kind of joined together in an effort to try to make it uneconomical, add regulations, do anything they can to frustrate their customers' ability to basically buy less of what they're selling by using solar. So um, a big part of my practice has been fighting against that. Uh, at the same time, I represent um, all sorts of energy developers um, dealing with everything from land acquisition to planning to dealing with contracts with utilities or financing and taxes and all that kind of stuff. So um, that's what I've that's what I've been up to. Why renewable energy? Like, what made you get into that? So really, it was an opportunity. I had a, a chance in 2009 to get on the phone with one of the executives at a company then that was called Solar City, um, which is now owned by Tesla. And you know, little did I know at that time that they'd become you know, the largest rooftop solar installer in the country, and Arizona would sort of evolve to be the most chaotic, um, from a policy standpoint, sort of the most chaotic location on earth if you're in that <laughs> business. So um, you know, I was interested in, in the issue and passionate about, really from a competition standpoint, I love the idea of rooftop solar. Um, it's sort of the you know, it is to energy what charter schools are in the public school system, right? It, it's disrupting a monopoly. It's giving people options and choices and putting pressure on the monopoly to be more efficient. So I love the issue, um, but, you know, I just happen to be in the right place at the right time and, and, and do a really good job for them over the years. So that grew, um, and, uh, you know, Arizona has had a, a rich history of um, sort of interesting changes and fights along the, the renewable energy way, so. Nice. Well, this is a, a lot to talk about, and certainly being that Arizona is such a dynamic place for the kind of work that you do, and you've been doing it for the last 10 years, I think that we'll, I think that when we talk about the awareness piece, the action piece, you'll be able to really give us a lot of good insight on. Let's start with the real big picture, though. Let's talk about climate change. Mm -hmm. um, is it real? Do you think it's BS? What, what should people be thinking about it? So from my standpoint, um, I don't think it matters because I think either way you get to the same conclusion, right? So I, I believe that it's real, but I don't. I also know that I don't know enough to know if that's right or not. Um, but either way, you know, the economics of solar, renewable energy, energy storage—it um, just makes sense to go that direction. Whether or not the coal-powered plant, you know, up next to the Grand Canyon is actually changing the temperature of Earth, it is poisoning the water. It is putting off pollution. And it's frankly now more expensive than other forms of energy. So, you know, I don't really, I don't have to get there in my mind to get behind renewable energy. And from an economic development standpoint, it makes a ton of sense, um, particularly in Arizona, but all over really, to go down the path of developing more renewable energy. We'll end up having cheaper power, so we'll all have more money in our pockets at the end of the day. In the meantime, we'll create a ton of jobs building that infrastructure. Um, so, you know, in Arizona, I deal with a lot of policy issues, and certainly the decision makers in Arizona aren't driven by the, um, the, the global warming. That's not a, it's just not something you bang on here if you're trying to get your point across. Got it. Yeah. So it just makes sense to pursue renewables, and as a byproduct, entirely those polar bears that we all love will still have a place to, to live. I hope so. That's right. <laughs> so fair enough. Um, well, I, I don't know that. Uh, my next question is going to be all that applicable, but pulling out of the Paris um, climate agreement, being that we want to move towards renewables anyway, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, again, I guess it's a good question. So I don't really get there very often on that issue. It's just not something I end up talking about, so you kind of catch me flat-footed on it. But I would say 
if the idea is we're going to pull out of Paris and we're going to like somehow now we're going to subsidize coal and do these weird things that are just they're just bad in the long run from an economic standpoint, let alone a the earth is a better place standpoint. Right. Um, you know, it just doesn't make sense to me. But really, I think one of the things that um, is missing is, you know, in, in the United States, most energy policy is driven at the state level. And so, you know, the states are going to have the ability to impact, you know, whether or not they can sign on to the, the Paris Climate Accord or not. you got states like California that have set a 100% renewable energy goal. You know, that, that doesn't... Our, you know, our, our country does not have to be a signatory to the Paris Climate Agreement for the, what are they, the sixth largest economy in the world to go and become 100% renewable. So it may not have as big an impact as everybody says. You know, what does it mean politically with our, you know, our place in the world? And was it right to thumb our nose at everybody else and all that stuff? Different issue. But I think from an energy standpoint, you know, the states really can still drive a lot of that policy. Okay. I, I did not know that. That's really good. So states really set the agenda. Good enough. Cool. Thank you. So renewable energy. Um, when you were going to law school, did you say, you know what, I think that this seems like a great practice area? Or how did you? No, I really, so I, I got into doing, I guess you kind of throw it all into the regulatory law area. Um, we have, our firm is the top zoning and land use firm in the state. And we represent a lot of, obviously, a lot of developers then. And... Um, there was a really large transmission line that was proposed that one of the utilities proposed to run through Pinal County, which at the time was the fastest growing county in the country, just south of Phoenix on the way to Tucson. And um, they were proposing a hundred mile transmission line that basically hit every one of our clients' properties. So <laughs> I got yeah, so I got involved <laughs> in that proceeding um, and then did more and more starting on that side working with transmission line siting. And which got me more into the energy world and the regulatory world working. Most of this is done at the Arizona Corporation Commission, and that's who oversaw the, the transmission line siting proceedings as well. So that really sort of got me into the world of energy and regulatory law. And that just, um, from there, you know, it was a great opportunity, and, and there's a, you know, just a lot of things you can do with that. Are there a lot of folks in your particular industry in the renewable law? So on the renewable side, doing what I'm doing, there aren't a whole lot. I mean, there, there's a sort of a small group of folks that practice at the Corporation Commission. It's not a big group, and everybody's kind of got their niche. You know, there's the utility guys. There's the, um, you know, the guys who represent the mines. There's the you know, solar folks, which is me. Um, and there's a few people, you know, sometimes you're on different sides and you move around. But it's a pretty small group in general of folks that deal with that in Arizona. So, so solar is is the, the driving focus of your practice area. Yeah, got it. Yep. Okay. Can you give us a little context on solar? Like, um, I know Arizona's probably. I'm just assuming a big a big solar user. Where do we rank in the country? What's what's the big the big driver nationally? Yeah. So California, by far and away, is number one. Um, and Arizona used to be uh, sort of in the two number two or number three for how many megawatts of solar we have based on our population per capita. Um, but we've steadily been falling down that list. Um, part of it is that the state's renewable energy standard, which is that target, you know, I just mentioned the California has got the 100% target. Well, Arizona's target is really small. It's 15% by 2025. And so when you look around, you look at Colorado, I think is at 30% or maybe even they went to a 50% target. Um, you know, California at 100%. I think Nevada is 30%. Um, so we're, we just don't have you know, that policy that drives the adoption of at least the large scale solar has really sort of caused us to fall down on that list. And then at the same time, um, the utilities attacks on rooftop solar uh, have really slowed down. You know, we would be much further ahead with individuals adopting rooftop solar had the utilities not spent the last five or six years trying to stop it at every turn. So, um, you know, I think right now we're still in the top 10, if you look at the per capita and the jobs, we've got about 7,500 jobs, I think, in the solar industry and related industries um, in Arizona, which is, um, I think, still in the top 10, but it's, we were up to like, I think, 11,000 at one point, several years ago. So, so 
talk to us about the, this adversarial relationship between utilities and solar. Yeah, and it's you know it's driven by self-interest, right? Utilities are businesses, and they should be worried about their bottom line. And they have taken the position again; it's, it's totally logical on their part that they want to stop. You know, they want they want their customers to be their customers. They don't want to share their customers with anybody else. They want to provide everything their customers need, and they don't want anyone else to provide that. So, um, back at the end of 2012, there's a utility industry group called the Edison Electric Institute, and they issued this paper called Disruptive Challenges, which was a, a document that basically said, wake up, investor-owned utilities, we've got this big problem. People are putting solar on their rooftop, and they don't need us as much when they do that. And that's going to create a big problem for us. So we basically need to all get together and figure out what we're going to do to stop this, or else now, this disruptive challenge is going to wipe us all out or shrink us or do whatever it's going to do. And since that point in time, um, they've, you know, there have been, boy, any number of things from uh, proposals to change the way the rates are designed to basically make it uneconomical to go solar to going to state legislatures around the country and um, asking them to put in place all kinds of, cons- you know, quote unquote, consumer protections, which oftentimes are just burdensome regulations that are unjustified or duplicitous, uh, to trying to raise property taxes on people with solar. I mean, all kinds of stuff at a local level, you know, messing with permitting, uh, funding independent, seemingly independent third parties to come in and message around how bad rooftop solar is, um, all kinds of stuff. So it's been pretty intense. And at the same time, you know, the solar industry has pushed back and said, no, you know, trying to get the facts out there that, um, you know, when, when everybody puts solar on their rooftop, that's good for everybody, including those people that don't have solar. Because the more, uh, the more individuals use their own money to build these power plants themselves, at some point that all adds up and the utility then doesn't have to build its own really big power plant, which, um, of course, they charge all of us for. And so that's... There's sort of these different um, points of view, and and the utilities want to build that very big power plant because that's how they make money. They have to build it or they can't grow. So there's this tension, and it's been playing out all over the place. Uh, And Arizona's been just the ground zero for this kind of fight. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting information there. I think one of the first things that jumped off the page was that it's the Edison Electric Institute. Mm-hmm. That, that, that strikes me as funny. It's they the, would name it that. That's the lobbying arm for the investor-owned utilities around the country. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, Thomas Edison was smart. <laughs> right. <laughs> this makes sense. But, well, yeah. It's like Subway, and I don't mean to despair. I'm not going to disparage Subway, but they had some kind of a, a company that was working that they owned called Physicians something or other. Oh, thing. right. That would stamp their food yes. or something. Like, approved. This is approved by the Physicians Health Group. Uh, right, but it's not any doctor. It's just, <laughs> it's just a, a company that they started. Right, <laughs> always, always, really smart. always got a kick out of that. Um, and I, I guess thinking about putting myself in the position of the utility of of the electric company, it's theoretically it's their job to produce revenue and for their shareholders. Right. So it's not ethically, it's not their job to worry about the earth or climate change is their job to produce revenue so therefore they need to oppose anything that's going to cut into the revenue so I, I guess I don't fault them for that no no I don't think so but I mean one of the issues is that they're not you know they they're not so much anti-solar it's they just want to own it right I mean so that's the difference it's not like hey we don't care about the environment and I think they're agnostic on the environment they'll build anything I mean if they were permitted to build bookshelves they build them because they make money on them that's how it works so they'll build anything, and they want to build the solar. They don't want their customers to build it because when their customers build it, obviously they don't make any money off of it. So I don't, I don't think it's a, you know, hey, your local utility doesn't care about the environment, um, which they may not care about. But I think it's just it's all about the money. That's not the question, right? Yeah. It's just all about the it's all about the bottom line. <clears throat> and I, I feel like I'm going to keep sort of going and beating a dead horse with this, but going to sort of the, the ethical conversation of it's okay to have for, for the United States to have done this for so many years, but now we're asking developing countries like India and China to 
just go renewable instead of using traditional power plants. Am I off base in that? Would it make sense for them simply to do renewable and not do coal-fired? Probably not right now, but I guess by pulling out of the Paris Accord, I don't think anyone can accuse us of trying to force no, other countries yeah. to do anything at this point, right? So, um, no, I mean, I think it's a transition, right? I mean, I don't think um, there's an opportunity right now necessarily to just say, hey, I'm starting you know, from scratch in a third world country and go all renewable. But certainly you can do a lot more than you could have if you were starting from scratch you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago or right. more. So, um, and, and with the costs, it's actually gonna be cheaper in a lot of cases. And sure. so there, I think the business case is there. You don't have to force the com countries to do it. And I think India is doing a lot of solar um, and other countries are doing a lot of solar and, and it just makes economic sense. Got it. So from maybe more of a macro level, what do proponents and opponents say about solar or renewable energy? So what are they saying are the good things and what are people fighting against? Just to yeah. So, so yeah, no, the, I mean, the, the biggest knock, say, on solar by itself, well, one of them anyway, is just that it's, it's intermittent, right? It, it doesn't work at night. So what do you do? We need power at night. So there are a couple of responses to that. One is, well, we use the most power, fortunately, and maybe coincidentally, but while the sun's shining, right? Businesses are up and running, people are at work, um, factories are running, usually during the day. Certainly some do at night, but, and solar tracks that. Solar's making electricity when the sun's out. So certainly we can, now solar's not at its peak towards the end of the day, but solar's still putting out power towards the end of the day. You know, the more direct the sunlight, the more, um, the more higher percentage of the solar is generating electricity. So. The, the intermittency question um, you know, is, is a fair point, but the answer to that is, well, energy storage, which is now developing very rapidly and coming down in price, is the kind of thing that's going to solve that problem, right? You can have solar all day, you can charge batteries that we then use at night. And then it's just sort of a closed loop of renewable energy only, right? It's the solar and then the solar charges the batteries. So when they're discharging, they're really char discharging solar energy as well. Um, you know, some of the other, the other knocks are going away pretty quick. One was, well, it's too expensive. And just over the last few years, the cost of solar has come down dramatically. And so you're seeing solar uh, contracts for big utility scale solar plants getting signed that are competitive with coal or natural gas now. So that's not even an issue anymore. Um, so that, I mean, I think that's probably the biggest you know, discussion point is, well, how do we, you know, how do we fuel a modern economy on something that's intermittent? You know, you talk about pairing solar and wind. Um, you know, solar is really reliable. We know when the sun is going to shine and we have weather forecasts and um, we can know when it's going to be there and when it's not. Wind, um, you know, if you have enough of it dispersed around enough, people, you know, they can predict really well what you know, what energy it's going to produce, um, which makes the case for you know sort of having natural gas as a backup um, that it can switch on real quick and fire up and, and make sure that it smooths out any kind of valleys or anything that happens from the weather or intermittency, uh, and that seems to be where you know where I think forward thinking um, states and utilities are. They're talking about that. They're moving that direction. That's what's going to have to happen in, in California in the short term to try to get them to those really high numbers of renewable energy. They're going to have to have some level of backup you know, for for the nighttime or when the wind's not blowing, that kind of stuff. And then for the, the proponents, so what are the big what are the big pluses of, of renewable and solar outside of the obvious? Yeah, I mean it's clean, right? Um, it's clean energy uh, jobs. Um, you know, if you look at the polling numbers on, you know, you ask anybody, any economic level, any party persuasion, and you poll different forms of energy, solar is always number one. Always, everywhere, never a doubt. And people just like it. I mean, it makes sense, right? The, it's free fuel. You don't need to burn anything. You don't need to buy something to burn, whether it's clean or not. There's just, you're not paying for anything. Once you build it and put it there, it makes power as much as it can make, and you never have to pay another dime um, you know, for that fuel. So the economic case is, is pretty strong um, beyond just the environmental. I seem to recall people 
on the the con side of it being negative against it because of their receiving government subsidies. Yeah. Is that is is that a real thing? Is that still the case? Well, I mean that's just a red herring. The energy industry is not a free market, and it never has been. And you know, let's look at something like nuclear. We started out talking about that. Well, I mean, the federal government invented it. The federal government you, you insures it, right? So, for example, um, uh, Palo Verde nuclear power plant could not exist, could not get insurance, but for the federal government providing the assurance that they can have insurance. So, um, you know, you look at everything from coal, from drilling for, for oil and gas, there's all kinds of tax credits. There's the, the, there have been a lot of studies that have been done that look at the historic subsidies to different areas, um, you know, in solar and wind and renewables certainly have gotten subsidies, but it's nothing compared to what um, you know, natural gas, coal, oil, uh, those kind of things. And, and the other thing that you don't look at, that people don't, don't necessarily think about, are the externalities of coal, right? So you locate a coal power plant in a city somewhere, um, and you know people get sick around there. There's you know there's um, different heavy metals that are started to be found in drinking waters and those kind of things. And this isn't a global warming thing. This is just a one of the byproducts of this is to actually make people sick or to actually cause disease or to cause pollution. Um, and so when you build in the fact that those um, you know, the, the owner of that coal plant and the urban environment that's doing that isn't paying the medical bills of those people, isn't paying for the impacts that it's having. Um, you know, that's a subsidy too that's often not counted at all. And so, um, you know, the, the idea that, oh, solar's getting subsidies is just, I mean, so what? And the other response is, well, um, their subsidies are actually going down unlike the rest of um, the energy world. So there have been a lot of local subsidies that the utilities used to pay you. If you wanted to put solar on your roof, you would have got like thirty, forty thousand dollars from the local utility a few years ago. Now you get nothing. So um, you know that's. I'm not a big subsidy guy, but if you're going to have them, they should work, right? They should be designed to help jumpstart an industry. Then they should tailor back, and they should go away, and then that industry should thrive. And that's really what's happening for solar. But yet it's not. You know, no one's asking all these other different types of fuel to be, you know, on their own. So I think anybody in the solar industry would say, great, we'll give up all our subsidies. If everybody else does, do let's it. just have it out. Let's go. So that's, uh, yeah, I, mean, I think that's the answer there. Nice. <clears throat> so it's true that they do get subsidies, but so does everybody else. So let's let the free market actually play out and get rid of all of them, see what mm -hmm. happens. I like it. I read online that Norway is 100% renewable based on, that was from Wikipedia, so I, I don't know if that's true or not, but... Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it's that. It's probably all geothermal. They have a lot of that there, which is just a different, probably a different program. But I don't know. It might be true. Got it. Yeah. Um, and circling back, you mentioned how much of Arizona's energy is renewable. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what the number was. So I don't know what it is right this second. The target is 15% by 2025. So I know, for example, with rooftop solar, about 5% of APS's customers have rooftop solar right now. It's so low. Um, it is so low, but yet they act like it's the end of the world and that we need to stop it and all that. So, yeah. It seems really low. From my research also, 24% um, of the nation's energy is renewable of some kind. So we're so far behind. Shame on us. That's surprisingly high, frankly. I wonder what's in that number, though. If they they, they, they might count hydroelectric and that kind of stuff, which actually maybe would make it. Yes, make that, it higher, that, that's but, based yeah. on sun, wind, rain, tide, waves, and geothermal heat. Okay. So, I don't know anything about how they use waves for energy, but I don't think there's a lot of that going on yet. <laughs> but it is a, that's an interesting technology for sure. So anyway, um, okay. So it's not necessarily the government subsidies because 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 we talked about that um, blackouts. It's a store of storage of energy, which the industry is certainly addressing. Um, so what is what is really stopping us? Is it the public not really understanding and not pushing back on legislators who I assume have been influenced by oil and coal for so long? Like what's 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 really stopping us? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess, so again, I think it's it's a lot of it's on a state level, right? It's state by state. So some states are going crazy and gangbusters on it, and others are being a lot more conservative, not no pun intended there, I guess, um, <laughs> with the, the way that they're implementing it, um, or some are not doing anything at all about it. So, you know, what's stopping us in Arizona, um, you know, I think really the untapped, well, not untapped, but the, the thing that could be unleashed is the individual homeowners that want to go solar. And if we would just get out of their way and stop letting the utilities mess around, you know, in Tucson right now, actually tonight, um, there's a demonstration at 8.30 tonight, everyone in Tucson is supposed to turn off their lights. And it's this, uh, it's supposed to be a, a message to Tucson Electric Power to say, stop trying to kill solar. Um, see how that how that goes, but it's kind of a creative way that a lot of activists have said, you know, this is enough is enough because TEP is trying to um, have solar customers pay upwards of thirty or forty dollars a month extra just for the privilege of investing their own money to build a power plant. And That's a rent. lot of money. So, yeah, yeah, and basically they're just trying to drive it out of Tucson. Um, and again, solar being as popular as it is, people don't like that usually. So. Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, if we could get the utilities out of the way uh, or, or really have the regulators step in and say, look, we're not going to let you stop your competition or we're not going to let you stop your customers from serving themselves however they want, whether it's solar or it's you know, whatever technology they want to use, um, that would really be, uh, you know, the way to go. The other thing is, you know, we're... Arizona commonly leads the nation in growth, at least historically, you know, people moving to the state. Um, we went through a time period over the last decade, give or take, where we haven't really done that. It's been pretty flat. And that's really coming back, which means we need more electricity soon. Um, you know, I think certainly the utility should be encouraged to look really long and hard at renewable energy options instead of um, what might be more expensive options that serve them better. Um, from an economic standpoint, building big, expensive power plants. So, so you touched on this a little bit earlier, but is the thoughts on renewable energy? Does it transcend party lines, or is there a certain like mindset of folks that you can align with that say they're going to be pro uh, renewable energy or not, or is it just people are people? Yeah, I mean, it's so. What happens with the renewable energy discussion, particularly with the what we call distributed energy, which is when customers own it themselves, is I mean, I think it's it's got all the hallmarks that it should cross party lines, right? It's got the environmental side of it, it's got this competition and free market side of it, this sort of self-fulfillment, you know, I wanna fend for myself and all that. So it really, I mean, from one end of the political spectrum to another, it should be there, but then it gets thrown through this political blender of like the utility and all their money that they throw um, both for and against elected officials and you know that just colors i think it it manages to kind of color this conversation in a way that doesn't let sort of pure political philosophies play out and i don't mean that just in arizona i mean that's everywhere um you know, utilities are really really strong politically they have a monopoly everybody needs them um and so they all have a good you know good war chest they've all got money they've got guaranteed money um and they've got a lot of political power i mean you go to any Go to any event, you know, you do a lot of charity events, Centauri, I'm sure APS or SRB sponsor every darn one of them, yep. right? Yep, yep, yep. Well, why do they do that? I mean, why do they do that? Does that make any sense? Let's say, I mean, they're basically taking that money out of our pocket. I mean, I'm, I'm a, in essence, I'm a taxpayer to them, right? I don't have a choice. I can't get power from anybody else. <laughs> right. Why on earth is it right for them to take the money I gave them because I had to, because I was forced to buy their product and then they should go spend it. I mean, I should just keep more of my money and spend it on the charity that I want, right? So, I mean, why do they do that? It's to build political power. It's to build, you know, to, they have tentacles in everything. And so you go to any event, anywhere, every charity has got, you know, and they should take, I mean, the charity should take the money. I don't have any issue with that at all because they're being offered the money. But the idea is whenever there's a dispute that comes up, these, um, you know, utilities then reach out to this network that they've got, people that are either beholden to them because they've given them so much money, or people that are, you know, just gracious and glad that they are there in the community, and they don't stop and think about, like, what the hell, why is this utilities pouring, and they do this all over the country, you know, pouring so much money into the community. Uh, I mean, imagine 
you know, I live in Scottsdale and I pay a water bill to the city of Scottsdale. And imagine that all of a sudden the city of Scottsdale was like advertising everywhere, right? Like you're at the basketball game and it's sponsored by Scottsdale and you're on, you know, there's commercials for Scottsdale, like in Scottsdale, like live in Scottsdale. I'm like, gosh, I live in Scottsdale. Why are they advertising for me to live in Scottsdale? You know, you see APS and SRP commercials all over the place. What, I don't have a choice. I mean, I gotta, I gotta buy your product, yeah. you know, you got me, right? So why are they doing that? It's all politics, right? It's all public perception. It's all to try to get as much support as they can. So that's a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> Understandably so. That is, that is an interesting way to think and look at that. <clears throat> and I think that I certainly don't know that I've ever really thought that all the way through. So. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Interesting. <clears throat> all right, so give me a lesson in civics. How does it work? How does uh, how does Arizona make policy? Is it the legislature? And then how does the Corporation Commission fit in? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. So Arizona is a little different than most states. And we have, you know, the Corporation Commission is actually in our state constitution. It's really a fourth branch of government. So huh. it's, yeah. it's created by the constitution. Its powers are given to it by the constitution. Uh, the legislature has the authority to give it extra powers. And they've done that in some cases. Uh, so unlike many states our our corporation commission is not you know, the governor doesn't appoint them they're elected by the people mm -hmm. um, the legislature doesn't have any say in who serves on the corporation commission the commission beyond regulating the price of electricity and water and sewer rates for um, for utilities it also governs it's kind of random but they govern like railroad crossings um, and then also securities regulation in the state of Arizona so um, they do a lot, and that's all given to them in the Constitution. So the, the way that a lot of this stuff has played out, and there was actually, this was controversial at first, but in 2006, I think it was, um, the, it was an all-Republican corporation commission at the, at the time passed the, the first renewable energy standard in the state, which was this 15% by 2025. And at that point, the Goldwater Institute sued and said, hey, we think you've overstepped your bounds. The Constitution says what you're allowed to do. And basically, without getting into all the court cases and the history of it, essentially they're allowed to make rates, just and reasonable rates for consumers. And the, the, the Goldwater Institute argued that, hey, you just went beyond that. You're actually making policy. And the policies are supposed to be set by the legislature. So that went through our court system. And the court said, no, it's actually close enough to the rates that people pay for electricity because there were findings that it's, you know, it's important that we have more renewable energy because it will help stabilize rates and it's a hedge against it, you know, increasing gas prices or coal prices or whatever. So um, that really solidified that the Corporation Commission was going to be able to kind of rule this area within its constitutional authority. And now it really plays out in you know, utilities will make proposals at the Corporation Commission and then um, and then they get heard by an administrative judge there who makes a recommendation to the commission and then you got a big hearing in front of the commission and public comes out and makes public comment and writes letters and goes crazy and then the commissioners decide. So, sort of that. Wow. Interesting. The, the quick, uh, quick summary of how it works there. Do you have a sense of how many other states are like that from a how we're set up? Yeah, I, I think I've heard that there's like six or seven that it's that method, but the rest of them are more legislature or governor driven. So it's it's different. I know there's there's less than ten that are elected statewide also. So usually it's appointed. Um, for example, in Nevada, a couple of years ago, the they have three member public utility commission that sided with the utility and got rid of a policy called net metering, which is really one of the key policies for solar. Um, and all the solar industry went out of business in the state, like overnight, gone. They did it on Christmas Eve, too. Um, and so gone, out of business, thousands of jobs lost. And the governor replaced all the people on the commission. And just uh, not too long ago now, they've reinstated that policy and are going a different direction. Here, you know, that couldn't happen. You know, if you wipe it out, you got to wait an election cycle and you got to go through all that. So there's, it's a little different. Do people who run typically have a kind of expertise or dealings in utilities? You know, they, yeah, they don't really. Okay. Um, the 
with the exception of one member right now, everybody on the commission is a former legislator, or uh, one of them is a former mayor. And so there's not a, you know, that, that doesn't mean you have a unique knowledge of utility, anything. Um, and historically, there haven't been folks that are on there that really come in with the knowledge of you know, anything to do with, with utility regulation. So that's where, you know, if you went to an appointed method, um, you know, you could get, you could pick subject matter experts and get them in there. Um, and they wouldn't have <laughs> such a, such an uptake. But there is a, I mean, there's a staff that supports these folks that, you know, this no is what they do all day. And, and so there's that support systems there. But um, it is interesting. You'll see, you know, a lot of the commissioners come in and it's just, you know, there's no reason why they should know you know, much of what is going on there. And so there's a learning curve every time. Is that a full-time position for folks? It is, yeah. That's really interesting. I, I'm going to guess that most people do not realize the power that those positions have. Yeah, I think when, that's pretty... When they're voting. Pretty commonly. They're like, yeah, it's a throwaway. Corporation commission. I don't know what that is. What they possibly do? You know, over the last few years, I think it's, it's certainly been in the limelight a lot more, um, for better or worse, right? I mean, there's been a lot of discussions about the influence of various utilities on members of the corporation commission. It's been covered in the newspaper a lot. I mean, if it were 1985 and there was, you know, you only got your news from the Arizona Republic, um, I think it would be like one of the biggest scandals in the history of Arizona. But with, you know, no one really reads the paper anymore. No one really knows what's going on in the world um, if it's not really, really exciting, right? And so this is not exciting, but there's a lot of allegations and a lot of really crazy stuff that's been alleged that's going on there um, that uh, I think has cast a lot more light on the office and a lot more people know about it. There's been large campaigns, you know, the utilities have funded, uh, APS in particular has funded, you know, million, multi-million dollar campaigns in support of various regulators that were running for office. The solar industry has supported other folks. Um, so that's hard to imagine. Yeah, it's raising it's raising the, the level. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, right. It's raising the level of, of, of it, but it's still yeah, it's down ballot. I don't think anybody knows what. Yeah, the, the average person has no idea what they do. That is really interesting, <clears throat> um, and I'm sure that that you find your work to be incredibly rewarding, and all the members of the of the commission to be fair and impartial. How, how often are you in front of them? Um, all the time. Yeah, every month, for sure. Got it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I won't comment on the rest of it. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, uh, it, most of the work gets done in front of a judge. I mean, it's like you have a full-blown trial there um, on these issues, and then it goes after a judge makes a finding based on evidence and all the kind of really super lawyery stuff, you go and it just becomes kind of a political sausage making thing, like in public in front of everybody in a couple hours at a hearing once a month. So, got it. Nice. Yeah. All right. So, if I were to guess, I would say that one of the things that would have stopped or would stop me even today from putting solar on my roof is is it roof or is it roof? Roof. Depends on where you are. Mm. I think a dog says I'm gonna go roof. Roof. Yeah. On my roof. Yeah. Roof. I guess roof. roof. Mm. <laughs> but I uh, but I digress for another show. Okay. One of the things that would have stopped me is am I making the right decision? Is this technology going to be good ten years from now? Mm. Um, or are we at a place where the technology is solid and I should feel good about putting it on my roof? Yeah, we've had yeah, on your roof or your roof. I think it's all good. Yeah, we've had, I mean, solar technology has been around since the 70s, right? Or maybe even earlier. But, I mean, we've got, you know, up in space, our space program uses solar all the time. Um, so it's it's incredibly reliable. If you buy a solar panel, uh, if you buy a solar system, it comes with like a 20 or 25 year warranty. I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty easy, you know, pretty reliable. It doesn't have moving parts. It just works. Okay. So, um, you know, I think what, what really has driven the rooftop solar industry is, you know, it used to be if I wanted solar, that was really expensive, right? Um, and and mostly you would see it was like rich hippies or like off the grid folks up in Kingman or something like that, I don't know, that would have solar. Um, and what happened was there were companies like Solar City or Sunrun that came in 
and really imported like the equipment leasing model into solar. And so all of a sudden now, with no money down, I could get a solar lease and put solar on my rooftop, all the warranties, all the maintenance, everything included in the price. And when I add up what I'm paying then for that lease, plus my remaining electric bill, you add it all up, it's less than my old electric bill. And so I'd start saving money from day one. And it just became, for a lot of people, it was just a no-brainer, right? It's just a way to save a few bucks. And that really enabled um, not just the rich hippie, but you know, middle class, fixed income, um, folks that just are looking to say, you know, every dime matters. There's a, a really big contingent of folks in Sun City um, that do it. There are a lot of senior and retirement type of communities that are really, really high penetration of solar. Pebble Creek out in the West Valley has like something like 30% of the homes have solar on it. And really wow. it's, it's all these seniors on a fixed income go, <laughs> how can I save a few bucks, right? And it makes a lot of sense. So they went out and they did it. And at the same time, as those lease, you know, as the leasing um, model drove adoption, also then the price of, of doing it came down also. And so now you're seeing kind of a pivot back to, you know, you don't even need to do leases anymore. You can just, you know, you can do a financing deal or you can afford it now maybe because it's just come down in price so much. So, um, you know, it's reliable. It lasts a really long time. And that was one of the, the things that the utilities were trying to do was sow seeds of doubt minds with these campaigns that they that they run and they would try to change the rules on people in the middle of the game and our commission here in Arizona to their credit has been really really strong on the concept of grandfathering so if if you've gone solar they promise you that the rules won't change for at least 20 years um, which is something that originally the, the utilities were trying to basically just pull the rug out from everybody and, and or at least threaten to do that to make new customers not want to go solar. Right. So um, the commission has been very strong on that. It's, that's a really good thing for, for people. Mm -hmm. No kidding. Okay, from an action standpoint, now that I think that having listened to this, you would feel good about putting them on, on your roof or mm -hmm. your roof, whatever. Yep. Um, somebody's listening to this and they say, you know what? We should have more of this. More people should have this. Arizona should have more a percentage of its energy come from renewable, what should they do? Should they write somebody? Should they call them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, you, if you're someone like me who follows the Arizona Corporation Commission, you know, when they get a letter, they have to put it in the docket. You can see it online. They get hundreds of these letters every month with people saying, you know, don't support this plan to wipe out solar or, you know, make sure you support this policy that under, you know, that makes solar make sense. Um, so yeah, I think you know, that's that's where this all gets done. So writing, calling the Arizona Corporation Commission, um, you know, writing or finding and talking to corporation commissioners directly. Um, that's you know they're really the most important players in this. And, and at the same time, you know, let the utilities know. Um, you know, it's not like you can go get your power from somebody else, but let them know you're not happy with the way they're you know, the way that they're positioning and angling to wipe out rooftop solar um, you know, I think that's important I don't know if they'll listen you know turn off your lights tonight at 830 if you're in Tucson and you know try to send a message to TEP um, that you don't like it so yeah I think that's that, that's where you reach out reach out to the utilities reach out to um, reach out to the Corporation Commission there's a lot of activist groups that are engaged and involved um, or industry groups I'm on the board of the Arizona Solar Energy Industry Association one of my clients is the Alliance for Solar Choice. Um, these are the kind of groups that really have been involved in helping to defend the, the rooftop solar industry and preserve people's rights to generate their power cleanly with solar energy. If people want to learn a little bit more about renewable energy, what are some good sources to read? Anything? What are you reading? Yeah, I mean, in the so in the kind of trade rags that are really inside baseball and. and interesting to me but if they're you know if they're people that are interested you know green tech media is a really good source of information on all things um you know from energy storage to solar to just any you know, nuclear whatever um utility dive is another website with really good uh, utility what utility dive dive yeah d-i-v-e um that's a great source of information um you know i'm on a there's a, a guy in the solar industry who runs a, a daily 
you, know, you wake up and it's there. It's called Solar Wake Up. You can go and sign up for that if you're really just interested in solar information. It's like the top five or six solar stories of the day delivered to you right first thing every morning. He does a really good job curating that. Uh, so those are the those are probably the, the thing, and then just everything else. But it's a great question. Are the the corporation commission are they in districts or is it? So it's all at large statewide. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for using the at large. I, I would not have been able to locate that one in my brain. <laughs> yeah, no, no, at large. And there's how many? There are five. Oh. And because of um, you know the fact that they're at large, it's very rare that there's any of them that aren't from Maricopa County, just because that's you know, that's where all the people live. That's so there was a commissioner a few years ago who was um, actually from Bisbee, uh, but he was one. He ended up being one term and, and was out. Mm. He had a good name. His name was Paul Newman. So, oh, nice. yeah, yeah sure. that helps on the balance. I'm just going to vote for Paul. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I just want to share with everybody where my brain went when you said that we should reach out to the utilities. And I appreciate that the power company in The Simpsons was, in fact, a, well, no, it was, it was, it, it was nuclear, so that's not right. renewable. So I thought about Mr. Burns receiving a letter from me and <laughs> him tearing it up and laughing. Or burning it. Yes, with a cigar or something to that effect. Yeah, I mean, that's the tough part. <laughs> who's who's going to listen, right? I mean, they don't, yeah. They've mostly shown the utilities that they're not going to, I mean, they listen to their shareholders, as they should, right? It's just the fact is that the regulators need to regulate them. You know, let's say the post office, which is essentially, you know, they had a monopoly on mail. Let's say they had gotten really upset and said, hey, we shouldn't have FedEx or DHL or whatever. Um, you know, that, that, that's essentially what the utilities are doing. They may be private companies, but they're regulated monopolies, and they're given that monopoly by the state or by the, you know, the federal government, whatever. And the idea that we'd let them sort of you know, keep all competition out is, is just, I, mean, I think it's perverse. Particularly, it should be for um, you know, conservative uh, policymakers like we have in Arizona. So. No doubt. Great. Excellent. Satari, what have we forgot to talk about? Answered all my questions. Thank you, Court. All well, right. well done, Court. Appreciate your, your time. Appreciate your insight. What else would you like to share, if anything? Um, boy, I got nothing else right now, man. We went that was all. Yeah. Where can people find out more about you? So, uh, roselawgroup.com. Um, I'm, you know, I've got a, a page there. I tweet on all things energy and then just other stuff, too. Um, what is my Twitter handle? Jeez, if you don't say it, you usually email it. It's... Uh, Court underscore rich at court underscore rich. Um, and I, yeah, I, I tweet there, linked articles, that kind of stuff. Cool. I will include that in the notes of the show. Thank you again. Cool. Thank you guys. Uh, thanks as always for listening. Remember to tell a friend. If you like the show, feel free to share it on social media, subscribe. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real. <laughs>